Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week on the podcast, I have a fifth-generation rancher from Nebraska, and, and a rancher, I would say, with a difference there. Jacqueline Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning, and thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here and visiting with you today. And, and um, Jacqueline, you farm with your father in a cow and calf operation uh, there in Sheridan County. Uh, um, whereabouts is Sheridan County? In Nebraska. Nebraska's huge, right? So it could be, you tell me and I probably wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's on the western western part of Nebraska. We're right on the western side of the Nebraska Sand Hills. Um, and so in retrospect, I'm about four and a half hours northeast of Denver, Colorado. Okay, that puts it. That puts it. Even I know where Denver is. That puts this in. in the <laughs> yeah, usually nobody else would know. I mean, if somebody says, "What's the closest town?" and the closest town's an hour away and has like five thousand people in it, so I just get that blank stare, you know, when I when I say that. So yeah, usually people do know where Denver is or kind of the vicinity. Okay, and I'm right in thinking some parts of Nebraska are, are fairly rural. There is it Lakeside. You're in there. Is that a sort of is that a metropolis or is that just a small small town? Oh, it's 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 absolutely a thriving metropolis. I think last count it had like twenty people. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there there's really there's a there's a church there, there's a post office and and a fire hall, and that's that's the extent of it. You can't even buy a gallon of milk at Lakeside. So yeah, you you blink as you you drive through it and wave at the cats. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk cows. And first, I want to, uh, to to congratulate you. And I said that I ranch you with a difference because what's different about you is you've just won the 2023 National Beef Quality Assurance Cow and Calf Producer of the Year out of something like 700,000 beef cow operations in the United States. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was that was probably one of the the highlights I think so far in my dad's and I career, but you know, also one of the most humbling. And now it's now when you look at that and actually when you say it like that, it's like kind of intimidating. And I go, Oh crap, I've got to up my game now. You've got seven hundred thousand beef operators listening to you as you speak. So <laughs> no, you don't. We don't get we don't all genius. I know, wow. <laughs> Shoot, I better not do anything stupid now, right? <laughs> Right, and I said, let, let's talk cows. Roughly, how many cows? What's the land like there? Should I say, what sort of area are you in? Is, is this lowland ground, high ground, dry ground? Tell us. No, so it's it's actually in, it's in the Nebraska Sandhills, which is a really unique area. It's it's the only place topography like it in, um, in the entire world. So so how I explain it to people is it would be the Sahara if you took. It, with vegetation. So if you take away the vegetation, it would look like desert dunes. Um, it's just pure sand, no clay, no loam, no rock. Um, but what's really fascinating about it is we sit almost on the deepest part of the Ogallala Aquifer, which stretches from the Dakotas all the way down to Texas. And so there's places um, that we can dig a post hole and hit water, which is amazing. And then so there's also a lot of surface water because the groundwater is so close to the surface. So we've got a number of lakes on the property too. Okay. Um, our average rainfall is about 14 inches. Okay. Um, yeah, you're going to have to do all the conversions for me because I'm, I'm miserable at that. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, it's it's in, in, in terms of cattle production, it's one of the, in my opinion, one of the top places in the world to raise cattle because there really isn't a whole lot of other purposes that would benefit from that besides grazing cattle and the cattle are phenomenal in terms of you know compaction on the vegetation and you know if you set up proper rotation management systems and stuff they thrive in that environment but they're also 
I, you also really have to be cognizant of fitting those cattle to that environment too, because it is it can be a harsh environment for sure. Absolutely, and and with it with a low rainfall like that and sand, there must be certain type of cattle that it does suit. And what, what breed are we talking? Mainly? How many cattle? How many head of cows are we running? How many? How many? How many cattle are? In what <laughs> you know, my my grandfather would always say when somebody asked that the the correct response was enough to eat the grass. And and then if people would ask, well, how much how much grass do you have? Then you go enough to feed the cows. So, <laughs> but no, we run we run about anywhere from seven hundred to a thousand head of mama cows. Um, we do run long yearlings, and so that's kind of a, a unique situation for the area. And that's something that we've done for years and years. And, and the reason that we do that is because we also have a later calving season. Um, our calving season starts May first, and we only do um, bull exposure for forty five days. And then we also have a fall herd, which came from an old um, embryo business that I had started. Um, and hopefully, I think I think the boss man who who is my dad, and he's uh, quite ready to get rid of that fall herd. So so you know, um, but it gives us the opportunity to run those long yearlings. And so yeah, it's uh, it, we we figure about in that area, it's about one pair to anywhere between fifteen to twenty acres. Um, and so, you know, uh, the the ground quality and and health of the vegetation is and the plant diversity is extremely important. And so that's what we're probably a little understocked. But by right, you know, when when we have drought situations like we've had the last three years. Um, it, we're very fortunate that we usually don't have to sell down numbers, okay. so it, okay. it's kind of our saving grace too. We'll we'll, we'll go on to, to the environmental side of it in a minute because I know that's something quite dear to you. But, but when I said what would breed it, would it be Angus there, Black Angus, Red Angus? Is that was that does that feature? Sorry, I'm red. I'm born and bred and, and multi generational red. So yep, Red Angus, and then we we do have some uh, started into some red sim composites. Okay, okay, and uh, breed your own replacements, obviously. Yep. Yep, we do. Okay, uh, and I'm right in thinking you you fatten the rest of them uh, of the, of the cattle. You finish the rest of, of, of the cattle yourself, or certainly. It depends on the year. So so we have about ten percent or less that go to our direct to consumer business, flying diamond beef, which we sell then all over the U.S. Um, and along with that, you know, it, it just really depends on the year in the market. So we've done it all. I mean, I've I've sold Cell Barn, I've sold Private Treaty, I've retained ownership and finished them out, sold them to the Big Four. Um, you know, there's just it really comes down to the year, what what and everything else, market situation. We're very adaptable, and and I think that's one of the benefits that you know we take near and dear to us is to have that adaptability to just adjust depending on where the markets and our situation okay. is at that time. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned that uh, you're flying diamond beef operation. I think that's something that you've very much been involved in yourself. And, and quite recently, I think you turned to directly marketing your, your own beef, uh, probably COVID like a lot of other people, COVID time, but uh, that takes a lot of setting up and marketing money and, and, and getting that exposure. It, it's, it's not an easy job, is it? No, no. The direct side of, of the business is, is it's, it's probably one of the most challenging ones because it it sometimes does not really make a lot of sense from a margin perspective, but from having that um, interaction with consumers is huge. And unlike a lot, we actually started in 2019 right before COVID hit. So we actually, COVID pushed us just a little faster because we were already had processing dates lined up and whatnot. And then all of a sudden the world shut down. And so we had to sit and we did a complete almost 180 from the direction we were heading to because we were we were sitting really good for COVID. And, but since then, you know, we've made a lot of adjustments and changes. I actually started that with two uh, other female business partners. And as of the beginning of last year, one unfortunately passed away in an ATV accident. And the other one, 
Um, we took it over in the beginning of last year and we're able to base it now completely off the ranch. So we have uh, refrigeration or well, freezer storage directly on the ranch. Um, and so we're able to ship and everything right there from the ranch, which has been a huge benefit for us. So you, you, you're killing, killing your own cattle on the ranch as well, or are they good to an abattoir? No, no. Going to Avatar, and and when we had started the business, it was actually Avatar was 18 hours over round trip, and so by it was down in southwest Colorado over two mountain ranges and through two large cities, and so by the time I would truck cattle down there or go pick up meat, it was it was exhausting. But then they opened up a new USDA plant about three hours away from the ranch. And and we've had a phenomenal partnership with them, and so yeah, it's that's really has propelled the business too. Is just having something that's that's not eighteen hours away, you know, and and more convenient for sure is huge. But one thing you have done, which I, I've noticed, and, and uh, I wouldn't say uniquely, but you certainly stepped out in front of the pack there by marketing or or, or labeling your your beef as environmental, and uh, as I said from from the. You mentioned yourself the area that you're on where nothing else could thrive but the cattle you've got. Then already you're you're making an environmental impact. That's a smart move, though, wasn't it? And tell me a bit more about the your Enviro Smart Beef. Sure. So so our Enviro Smart Beef is our new product line that we released on Earth Day on April 22nd of this year. Um, what's the the idea from Enviro Smart Beef actually came from the UK. Well, actually came from both the EU and the UK from when I was traveling over there this last fall. I was there multiple times on trade missions. I was actually in um, Brussels speaking with DG Agra on behalf of the USDA in December, talking about producers' input and whatnot. And one of the things um, that I really discovered, especially overseas, is that there's such a focus on climate. You know, from a consumer perspective, everyone is so focused on climate. And sometimes when we get so focused on environmental issues, we lose sight of reason. You know, um, <laughs> I'm into that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so so when we when we start doing that, a lot of times when we start losing sight of reason, we also lose sight of efficiencies. And so some of the great things that we have for efficiencies in, in the U.S. beef supply chains is things like growth promotants, our concentrated animal feed lean operations, or our feedlots, you know, or, or some of those things that actually can get that animal to harvest faster, which in turn has less carbon footprint. And so our thought process behind EnviroSmart Beef is we wanted to take three components that we're really passionate about, which is human well-being, environmental well-being, and animal well-being, and combine those, which is something that we do on a day-to-day basis on our operation, but I don't think we've ever, ever actually given it a name. And so we thought, okay, well, let's give it a name, but then let's push it just one step further. So now we have a label, the EnviroSmart Beef label, and that actually goes only on the packages of beef that are genomic tested through Neogen's Igenity Feeder Program. And that genomic test gives us markers back that will, along with a couple other input data, like uh, weight going into a, a finishing operation and also the ration, we can get the ideal number of days on feed for that animal to reach its optimal carcass quality. What we found out when I first got the first set of data back is I was actually overfeeding cattle by about 30 days. Okay. And, and so before I had started, you know, before that I was, my finished weight was uh, 1550 pounds, you know, so a little over 700 kilos. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm realizing that I can reach that optimal at 1400 and some. So instead, if I take that cattle off of the 30 days sooner, I'm going to have a lot less carbon imprint. 
And so that's kind of the thought process behind the Enviro Smart Beef. And, and so we wanted to also com- like just compare it side by side with what we call our classic line and see what, what the consumers thought. And since since Earth Day, about 80-some percent of our orders have gone to the EnviroSmart line. Right. So in retrospect, we're really adding, all we're doing is adding one DNA test, you know, for thirty under $30. And in retrospect, we're adding about $500 additional carcass value. <laughs> so it's been, it's been a huge game changer for us. But it's really doing nothing different than what we've done before. We're just letting consumers know that, hey, we've been doing these things for years. This is what we're about. But we're actually putting it into a little bit better perspective, I think. But, uh, yeah, that is that is a, f- a fantastic um, a figure, a mind-blowing figure that you just mentioned there. And and you, is there a benchmark? Some of these animals make this grade, and some of them don't, or is it just the ones you 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 put the label on because that's what people are demanding? Well, at this point, at this point, we're sp- now we're we're heading more of our cattle towards that label. Um, actually, everything I have on feed right now would qualify for that label. Um, and you know, I think. It's going to be just selecting those when we get that data back, just selecting those that might be in that upper tier of that label, because there's some of them that, you know, they're going to take a little bit longer on feed. And and so now it's just a matter of, of, of kind of fine, you know, of getting a really good look at where that data says, how we can, how we can gauge it with our processing dates and, and just working on even every day, just trying to make our beef just a little bit better and a little bit more efficient. And if we can do that, then I then I feel that we're on the right track. But it's it's just constantly taking the data now and continuing to tweak it um, and and just continuing to analyze what the consumer response is going to be. OK. And, and is there, you mentioned earlier on, I mentioned it as well. I think the fact that you're on the sand hills there, which is an area where nothing else will grow, that obviously does contribute towards your your carbon footprint is that something that you market as well to say well you know we're actually you know, this is this is land that uh, couldn't do anything else so we've got cows on it yeah i mean that's part of the marketing but i think you know at the end of the day so many people don't realize that cattle spend the majority of their life in our operation on pasture and and so you know we get this such a great push for grass-fed, 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 and and we promote grass-fed and grain-finished because we really want that extra marbling, that extra flavor, that extra eating experience at the end. And But it's just a matter of informing consumers how that works. So once I tell a consumer, you know, that, no, this animal spends the majority of its life on pasture, and then maybe for the last 90 to 120 days, it's in a feeding facility, you know, then all of a sudden they have a different impression of what of what the beef industry looks like. And that's that's almost more the norm in the U.S. than it is to just have them in a constant feeding facility all the time or a confinement facility. And so it's just literally informing the consumers and letting them know, hey, you know, this is this is what our focus is. You know, this is place looks like, you know, it's 15,000 acres of where where you can't find any litter at all minus the the stray balloon that people release here or there that shows up on the property and and otherwise you know this is this is how cattle should be living their lives and and if we can take that and and share that story with the consumer i feel at the end of the day we're we're hopefully educating them and they're not going to they're going to continue to eat some kind of protein and some kind of animal protein that's brilliant and it is about the education isn't it and it's a, it's a constant battle with all of us in the in the red meat sector to uh, to try and counter those that are against the red meat sector but uh, you have to get column inches you have to get yourself out there you have to get your marketing done and that all costs money and it takes a lot of time as well uh, uh, Jacqueline so how, how do you manage that I mean, how, how do you ad- what's your advice to other people who want to start in this online business how do they get out there and get some market share 
Well, I think I think the biggest thing they have to do is they have to be they have to be open. You know, and, and one of the things that I have found out is I will not I will not engage with activists. Um, you know, if they if they I mean, unfortunately have been pretty lucky in terms of keeping them off our social media and whatnot. And and but at the same time, if there is one that starts to engage, the very first step I'll do is I'll invite them out to the operation, which is which is gutsy. And not, not a single one has ever took me up on it. But it seems to shut that conversation off right away. And then and then it's just a matter of, you know, looking at what your resources is, looking at what you want to do in terms of the direction of your operation and realizing, you know, um, where does this fit? If it doesn't fit into the operation, don't do it. I mean, it's that simple. It has to fit into kind of what you're currently direction you want to direct to consumer they do take a lot of work they do take a lot of, of social interaction and and that marketing and advertising and getting that story out which which all of a sudden you might realize you know some something that you've done for years like maybe a certain way that you work cattle or a certain way you pull calves or a certain way i mean you do any of your operation is going to be judged and and you have to be willing and accepting to to get that criticism back and and I think what it does is it makes it it's made me a better producer okay. because you know before I was always looking at animals um, from the skin in and now I'm looking at them from the meat out and and if I can do that and share share you know what I'm learning and those experience I'm gaining with cons- not only other consumers but other producers I think it only in turn makes the industry more successful in general. Sure. Sure. Brilliant. Brilliant. And let's move on to some of your other appointments there and, and one that obviously gives you that interaction with other producers. You're on the board of the National Cattle Breeders Association and that's a, that, that's pretty special, isn't it? I mean, it's, you, you chair the International Trade Committee, is that right, uh, Jacqueline? It's correct, yes. And what does that entail? Yep. So, so International Trade Committee does a lot of, of setting policy for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in terms of not only trade policy, but things like um, country of origin labeling um, falls within our trade committee. Um, any of any current or, you know, future negotiable trade policies like dealing with, you know, NAFTA or Oh, any WTO stuff or anything, you know, we we do have policy on those. And so as chairing that committee, you know, um, both at our summer business meeting and then our annual convention, you know, we, we provide members the opportunity to bring thought processes on policy that they want to pass um, that will make, you know, the industry in general a better. And so it's been it's been really um, it's been really fascinating and really neat um, in terms of being able to be at the grassroots of that policy development. And I think it's important, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it, we need to have people engaged and involved on on both local, state, and national levels, because if you don't have that involvement, the the industry becomes stagnant. And and at the same time, producers need to have a voice. And and this is this is my way of of I feel not only getting my voice heard, but having it so I can share that voice with other producers and make sure that I get their input and, and their concerns and thoughts too. Sure, and, and that obviously, the, the, by the nature of the word international, that gets you to travel. And you mentioned you were in the in the UK and Europe uh, last year. And of course, this being a UK-based podcast, there has been a few heated discussions amongst the British beef producers that uh, US beef is going to flood our markets and, and, and a different type of beef. And yeah, how's that lot going? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, you know, those are interesting discussions. We actually hosted a group from the UK here just this month, okay. um, you know, and, and so there's, and, and and what was even more surprising is I think there was five of them and I knew four of the five of them because I had been to either their operations or have interacted with them over the years. And so it was, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity there for both countries. And it's just being able to find that common ground for sure, you know, and, and I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing from traveling internationally and visiting with other produ- producers, like I'm, I'm actually doing this podcast. I'm in, I'm in Nassau, Bahamas right now at the West Indies Ag Conference. And it doesn't seem to matter where you're at. The producer topics are very similar. You know, they're concerned about succession. They're concerned about economics and they're concerned about, you know, consumer, consumer perceptions. And, and also regulatory control. And so it doesn't matter if you're in the Bahamas or if you're in the UK or in the US or Australia, New Zealand, these are all, these are almost always identical producer concerns. And so it's just being able to, to make sure that those producers have a voice and are, you know, whether it be talking about regular regulations with parliament, where we had the opportunity to meet the prime minister here, here in the Bahamas and, 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 you know, having those conversations that, Hey, you know, the U.S. supports your producers just like they support our producers in the U.S., but you have to be able to let them produce. Okay. And if you don't let them produce, you're not going to have an ag industry. Sure, sure. Well, there we go. That's that's that's, that's kind of wrapped up that subject pretty pretty succinctly. And uh, we, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned that you get to travel, <laughs> Jacqueline, and we've got a mutual acquaintance in PJ Budler, who's again been on this podcast uh, recently, who gets out there and not quite sure what PJ does. He tires me out just thinking about him. He, he, he's some man. He's everywhere and, and, and does a lot of a lot of judging knows a lot of things doesn't he yeah pj's pj's an impressive individual for sure yeah he actually was the one that got me hooked up here in the bahamas on this conference and i i think he he zoomed in one day and was out off traveling the world again but yeah and and i think the thing i really appreciate about pg is that we have a passion in helping other producers and and sometimes it's i think it's rare people that are completely selfless in their thought process but they do really want to make the industry better and, you know, and that's something I, I'm continuing to learn more and more from him. And, and I really appreciate that friendship for sure. Okay. No, good. Well, uh, I certainly appreciate him putting you, putting you in touch with me as well, which he did. And, uh, and, and something else that you're involved in is, is the Trailblazers class. I'll say that one more time. The Trailblazers class. Uh, <laughs> can, you exp- can you explain what that's about? <laughs> that was actually the inaugural that was sponsored on behalf of the the national beef checkoff and and what it was is they took in a lot of uh, they had a big application program that they they brought in influencers in the beef industry and taught them a whole other level of training in terms of media in terms of interaction in terms of how to promote beef as a healthy protein source um, how to how to better your social media you know how to do interviews and and they've really utilized um, it's the second year now in the program they've got a new class in there and what their their hope is is that the more that they can educate especially younger adults you know to to share that story get out in the countryside talk to producers talk to consumers you know plaster it all over social media you know i think that bigger stronger base you can build in general and that and that was the whole point of the program it is sponsored on behalf of the the beef checkoff and and so that was something that was is was really exciting to be a part of um and now it's just continuing to take that and and you know, get that message out that, hey, beef is awesome. You know, everybody loves a nice juicy steak, right? Or I should say not everybody, but we, we hope in the future everybody continues to love a nice juicy steak. 
No, excellent. And that's something, obviously, it's you putting a little bit back into the industry. And I know you serve on the Nebraska's Humanitarians Council as well and, and, and get get your hands involved in all sorts of things where you can make a difference, uh, Jacqueline. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's something that's really, I think, important is I've kind of I've kind of gone the gamut on the on the ag side of things. And now I it's really been neat to get involved into other groups that don't necessarily have that ag presence because I think that's almost just as important, you know? And so on the, like, for instance, Nebraska Humanities Council, I, there's two of us now on the board of 40 that have a, have a, that work full-time in ag. And, and so just being able to share some of the things that are going on, you know, at Nebraska is a dominant ag state. I mean, that's our largest industry, but, you know, from a representation standpoint, sometimes we, we don't have that representation from ag. And so, yeah, that, things like that are important. You know, does it take away some time from the ranch? Yes, it does. But, you know, we've, I've got my dad and I are partners in our operation. He's also my best friend and, and he's really he really understands the importance of getting out there because there's so many great things that come out of some of these conferences and stuff that actually not only affect our operation, but affect the industry. And we just have to get out there and, and share it for sure. Sure, and you don't know until you try and do get in amongst that, don't you? And and uh, you're a writer as well in your, in your spare time, <laughs> as I am, and an award-winning writer, I think. I'm not sure I'm one of those, but uh, yeah, you, you you write for journals and, and, and do you write books or what do you spend your time Oh, about? heck no. Well, come on, Andy, when am I going to have time to write a freaking book? No. <laughs> I've written 41 of them. I don't know how. <laughs> Oh, that's impressive. I know. I, you know, people keep saying you should write a book, you should write a book, but, but I, 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 I only time I've, I've tried it, I've started one a couple times and it ends up being way too many cuss words. <laughs> exactly. I started writing about a decade ago and it just took off. So uh, you write for, for a magazine then, I guess? Uh, and, and weekly ag newspaper okay. called Miss Midwest Messenger. Okay. And, do you, do you write about what, what what goes on at the farm, or, or I mean, I write for a newspaper as well, but um, um, I'm normally far too controversial for it to be printed to a larger audience. Is it is just what you write about your own life, or is it a prophecy that you put down there, or, or and, and who reads this? Oh, there's there's a little bit of everything. So you know, some weeks it's about what's going on on the operation. Some weeks it's about you know philosophic philosophical things. Some weeks it's about mental health and agriculture. Um, it goes out to about seventy five thousand producers throughout the Midwest, okay. and and so it's got a, a really solid reader base. Um, and and yeah, it's almost it's it's been interesting. It's caused it, you know there's been some really great things that have come out of it, and and every week I continue to be like, oh, why am I still doing this? And then you know, you'll have a you'll have a reader that reaches out, and then you're like, okay, this is why. So yeah, it's it's been a blast. Okay, good, good for you. That's that's a big circulation as well. And I know you were featured in a book as well called uh, Generations on the Land, and I've looked at that, and and uh, a lot of references to Aldo Leopold, a 1930s conservationist writer, I think. And, uh, <laughs> now, and now there's a Leopold Award for conservation. So uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, there it has, and they're and they're continuing to expand the number of states too that um, are doing the annually uphold award. So I think it really and there and it's all across all sectors of the industry. So I know there's also some, you know, vineyards that have got it, um, dairy industry people have got it. So I think it, they're doing a really good job of focusing on conservation and agriculture in general, and and hopefully it's a program that will continue to grow. Okay. Okay, and obviously the conservation in, on our side of the pond involves everybody planting more and more trees and hoping for the best. Are you getting some of that there? I suppose you can't plant trees on that, on that sandy land or don't want to. Uh, we actually planted 1,100 trees two weeks ago. Oh, 
<laughs> my crew was ready to hurt me. <laughs> so it's yeah, yeah. We we attempt. I should say it's an attempt to plant trees because unfortunately, between the wildlife and Mother Nature, it it never works out very well. But we always attempt at least. Okay. So it's it's the thought that counts. <laughs> yeah, there's always some, something there. You want to eat them as soon as you put them in in there. Well. Jacqueline, you, you sound like a really busy person, and you are. I know it's uh, for all you might be having half a day off in the Bahamas. I'm sure you've got to talk some things to give later on, and then and uh, stuff to handle back home. So I really appreciate you taking your time to to talk to Top Lines of Tales. Thanks, Andy. It's been great. It's been a blast. And I really, I'm, I'm impressed with obviously you winning the the Cowcalf Producer of the Year for 2023 for the, the whole of the USA. Fantastic achievement, and also with your Enviro Smart Beef thing. That sounds like a, like a real uh, a real bench benchmark there for other people to follow as well. So, I wish you great best of luck with that one. Thanks. Now we just need to get it over into the EU, right? <laughs> well, maybe. Can you tell me where we can look this up? Maybe just just shout out for a website there where we can do the Flying Diamond Beef Ranch. Is that right? Yep. FlyingDiamond.com. Flying, FlyingDiamond.com. Okay, no, we'll give that a look. Well, Jacqueline, thanks very much for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. Sounds great. Thanks, Andy. Cheers, now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we're extremely grateful to our sponsors and partners, Harbro. And uh, if you're looking to get your pedigree stock ready for this summer's shows, then get in touch with Harbro to find out what their feeds can do for you. Because don't forget that Harbro was founded on top quality feed for show sheep uh, a long time ago, and they still and their range of products still feeds a lot of the top show animals in the country today. And so uh, find out a little bit more about Harbro on the internet or contact your local representative. And while you're on the internet, don't forget to look at our Facebook page and maybe join our Facebook group there, Top Lines and Tales, where uh, you can join in with the community and, and find some pictures to back up this and, and previous episodes. And uh, and also, if you get chance, when you're listening to the podcast, please click the button that says follow, because if you click that follow button, then uh, you'll be uh, pre-warned whenever a new episode of the Top Lines and Tales podcast comes out. <laughs>